MSW Media. This week, Donald Trump took his exploitation of hate towards immigrants and minorities to a new level, releasing a web video that was widely denounced as racist. Trump also sent 15,000 troops to the border to defend against a so-called caravan of immigrants who are still hundreds of miles away. What are the consequences of Trump's racist strategy? How is it connected to similar campaigns in the past? And what can we do in response? Let's get on topic. Welcome to On Topic, a weekly in-depth look at a topic that helps us understand the week's news. My name is Renato Mariotti. I'm a former federal prosecutor, a practicing lawyer, and a CNN legal analyst. I'm joined by my friend Patty Vasquez, a comedian and WGN radio host who will join us regularly on this podcast. So I got to tell you, Patty, this week when I saw that video, uh, I was I was floored. Well, uh, I, I was floored. I need you to do me a favor, and I'm, I'm guessing I'm not the only one out there. I try to manage my exposure to insanity, so I actually have not seen the video. Can you tell us a little bit about what the video demonstrates or shows or what he was trying to convey? Wow. You, you have not seen the video seen that the we're video. discussing this week. Okay. Yeah, I, I apologize because I, I do think there are people who haven't seen it and maybe they don't want to. So you can you can kind of summarize it for us. Sure. So Trump released a web video. In the beginning of the video, there's um, a man who I think is clear. It clearly appears to be Latino mm-hmm. who is in court. It, it, it looks like he has just been sentenced and he's or, or just been uh, received a, a conviction uh, a guilty conviction, and he says that he that yeah he killed those cops and he wished he killed more. He okay. wished he didn't just kill two, and kind of bragging and with a certain haughty air to him. And then it cuts to various scenes um, that you may have seen in some clips of Fox News, right. um, and talks about how Trump's going to protect us from illegal immigration. And by the way, in that that first part where you see that man talking about killing the cops, it says Democrats let him in. Okay, and. Now, the facts have since come out uh, that, you know, this man initially entered the country during Bill Clinton's administration, but he was deported and then reentered uh, into the George W. Bush administration. He was uh, let out, I think, by Joe Arpaio, who was pardoned by the sheriff in Arizona, who was pardoned by uh, Donald Trump. So obviously false ad, not even being um, defended by Republicans as a factual statement, Um uh, Rona McDon, uh, well, it used to be Rona uh, Romney, but Rona McDaniel, who is mm-hmm. the RNC head, was on uh, television this morning, essentially saying, "Well, uh, you know, she isn't defending it as a literal uh, statement of the truth, but you know, she's saying that the president is trying to say, hey, we don't like these, you know, having these people sure. in our country, and they they kind of defend that.'" Um, but to me, it reminded me of the Willie Horton ad. I was going to say the exact same thing with Dukakis and Bush. Correct? Right. So in, in 1988, where you had um, the na- nationwide attention focused on one guy who was let out on a furlough who had committed a heinous crime 
And the implication being that Michael Dukakis was was a soft on crime, but also that we need to be concerned about black men like Willie Horton uh, committing crimes. It played into racial stereotypes. I thought this was worse uh, by a significant factor. And that's really saying something. You know, to, I, I guess I have th- had thought or hoped at times in my life that racism, while it's, it certainly has existed throughout our country's history and continues to exist, I thought that it, it, had, it was on a somewhat of a decline, right? And that, um, at least publicly, mm-hmm. publicly people would be too shamed to uh, push forward a strategy like that. And what we're seeing in the age of Trump is racism increasing. And the... Um, the uh, it's the, the he's emboldening mm-hmm. uh, racists and t- kind of taking a lot of the traditional methods that the Republican Party has used to um, win over white voters and kind of put them on steroids, so to speak. No, you're absolutely right. It's a it's crazy that there are way more horrible people out there than we thought there was. I think that's kind of the way what you're saying is that you'd hope that racism was on the decline. We knew it was there. We had, you know, you have people that say things that are untoward and maybe we surround ourselves with people who are like-minded, but so do racists. They, Mm -hmm. as you mentioned, they though had shame before. Now they do have confidence and not only that, but you (laughs) you see them bringing their kids to these rallies, these cult-like venues where everyone is just entranced by every single word the president says. That video that you're talking about which I haven't seen, but I'm sure the people who have, they now take that as the truth without any sort of you know fact-checking or listening to the reality of what actually happened. Well, exactly right. And that is part of a calculated strategy by Trump. Uh, you know, last week we talked about uh, the way in which uh, white supremacists and other hateful people are becoming emboldened, finding others like them on the Internet and so forth. Right. Uh, but they are being encouraged uh, by Trump and by the messages that he's sending out. And there is a deliberate strategy on his part to um, discredit independent sources of information like the media and to tell people that they can only trust him right. for factual information. In fact, this week he was saying at rallies that he's the sort of, you know, well, I'm, you know, he cares about the truth and you're, I'm the source. I, Donald Trump, am the source of facts and truth and so forth. Um, I will say it was interesting because this week interviewed Trump and asked him very pointed questions about this enemy of the people uh, line that he uses where he attacks the press and says they're the enemy of the American people. And he basically said, look, I have to fight back and this is working for me. Right. And, you know, I will tell you, Maggie Haberman, who I know is a controversial figure at times, said on Twitter, and I think she was correct, that she wished people would stop asking him this question because he said the same thing multiple times. And, of course, he doesn't care about the effects of it. And I think what it really sort of underscores to me is that Donald Trump is about what works for him, what achieves things for him, what moves the ball forward for him. And that's not what a leader is supposed to be, much less a president who is representing our entire country. It's all about if if he would do anything, damn the consequences as long as it moves the ball forward for him. And that's what it's like for a lot of Trump supporters, though. And people, I, I was at a, a function the other night. I ran into friends of mine from grade school, and we, you know, we, I didn't bring it up. I don't know why my friend chose to. He follows me on on social media, and uh, and he and he told me he goes, I, look, I know you don't like the president, but I really do. I like his, I appreciate his policies. I like his policy. And and like you said, as long as it moves the ball forward for him, he likes what it does for him financially or I guess for his 401k, his business, right? Getting those tax cuts. And as you said, 
everything else be damned, which means to me, democracy, uh, kindness. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it, it is a fundamental idea that you should be kind to each other, that you should embrace those who are seeking refuge. You know, we have people who are trying to flee violence in countries and we have always stood behind and and that when you even have the catholic church saying this is who we're supposed to be we are supposed to welcome these people from a strange land and and give them support but i i it is i've asked this question over and over again is you know are his policies worth it and a lot of trump supporters say it is that's what they want they don't Uh, care about the rest of it yeah i look i i can't understand that uh, you know sense of profound selfishness amongst people who are doing very well. It's one thing I, I do understand people who say, look, I'm trying to struggling to make ends meet. I can't focus on climate change or, uh, you know, immigration, other things. I need to focus on, you know, whatever bread and butter issue affects their pocketbook. And it's more understandable in that circumstance. I'd say for Trump, it's what makes it worse. And I think the point I'm trying to get at is, you know, it, it is always possible for leaders to say and do things that are dishonest, that might help them politically or help them personally in some fashion. And I think part of being a leader is rising above that. You know, you know, this, I think it's important to put um, what happened this week in this web ad and, and all the attention that's been focused on this in a bit of historical perspective, because, you know, for example, the South voted Democrat from the civil war in 1860s, uh, through the 1960s, fifties about. I mean, it was a lot of it was a segregation. Well, right. So if after in the 60s there was a deliberate strategy that Nixon employed called they called it the Southern Strategy, where he focused on attacking the Supreme Court's desegregation orders and essentially appealing to white voters in the South mm-hmm. who were concerned about having their kids in schools with with black children, and. You know, that since that time, you know, that's what flipped the Republican uh, Party and, and, and helped them gain victory not only in 68 and 72, but afterwards where the, the South became a Republican stronghold, not a Democratic stronghold. Right. Um, but and then we've talked about Willie Horton and other things. It's always possible to play on these sort of base or or or, or racist or evil instincts that people have, that voters have. Um, but, you know, I feel like it, at times the Republican Party in the past has tried to do it within certain limits. Well, we'll allude to these things. We're going to be careful about how explicit we are. You know, we'll talk about defending the border and securing the border and so forth. And, yes, uh, you know, our border is pretty secure, but, you know, we're going to continue to focus on that as an issue um, because, there, you know, there's there's we're going to appeal to that element of our base. But. There's a difference between that, I think, a qualitative difference between that and what happened. If another Republican had done this, if there was a congressman who ran this ad a few years ago, I think that other Republicans would have denounced him. Right. They would distance themselves. Sure. Right. But now you have the president of the United States doing this. And there were some Republicans like Jeff Flake and Christine Todd Whitman and Max Boot, who we had or used to be a Republican a few weeks ago on our on our podcast, you know, denouncing Trump for this. But because he's the president, they embrace him and they're behind him 100 percent. Again, because it gets their agenda through, whether it's the Supreme Court justices or the the tax cuts, those uh, are those policies are important to them or that uh, the the entire tone of the Supreme Court for now, what, 50 years, perhaps it was important to them at all costs. That's what this has been at all costs. And dehumanizing people has been such a has been a strong strategy. Plus, they have this massive platform in social media. 
mm-hmm. you know, that they can, that's, that you can circulate something. And it doesn't matter if it's true. You can, it becomes the truth, as you mentioned, because he says it. Well, you know, it's interesting. So this ad that we're, we're talking about, everyone's ta- you know, been talking about over the last several days on. I close no, my ears. La, 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 la. I know. I, I have to pick and choose, Renato. I really got to pick and choose that video. I, I heard rumblings about it, but. Oh, I sure. Can't. No, I understand. But my uh, the point I'm trying to make is that social media people were talking about it. On the air, people were talking about it. Massive coverage in the New York Times and Washington Post and and elsewhere. And. This was from a web video that wasn't paid for. They didn't put any money behind it or whatever. They yeah, just released it, right? Exactly. And in many ways, it's it was a great success because it got all of us focused on the issue of immigration. You know, if this is an election about immigration, that really is good for Trump. You know, the the Democrats have been trying to make this a, a, a um, an election about health care, right. about uh, you know making sure that people have pre existing conditions are covered and so forth. The, the Republicans are trying and Trump are trying to make it about immigration. So, the you know, the fact that he did this is, you know, what Trump has learned is if he says something outrageous or crazy, he can get everyone's attention. And even though these articles are denouncing him or saying that, you know, pointing out the inaccuracies or lack of evidence that he has for various claims, then nonetheless, what people are hearing is there's some brouhaha over immigration or there's some problem over immigration. And. Uh, you know, and and Trump is doing something about it. That's that's the get the takeaway from somebody uh, of a voter who isn't paying attention, right? And and paying attention though to speeches that, like the one he gave, in which he said, that, you know, I'm going to tell the troops to treat any rocks thrown as though they're rifles. How else is anyone supposed to take that except that open fire on a group of people who don't have weapons except for rocks and include women and children? Uh, is uh, is incomprehensible to me. And again, that's to the dehumanizing element of what he is driving through. Well, I think, yeah. So, and let's talk about that for a minute. So Trump had, you know, he, he had a major address, which... Um, you know, in which he said, you know, I'm going to be announcing my new immigration policy. And it turned out to just be him, you know, saying a lot of the same things he always says about immigration. He talked about and he has this troop movement to the border. And that is news because it's wasting a hundred plus billion dollars. Billion with a B dollars uh, is my understanding. No, no, I'm sorry. Or is it a hundred million dollars? So I don't know. It was a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's let's keep it that way. Let's let's, uh, put it that way. A lot of money is being spent on this troop deployment, active duty U.S. troops are being sent to the border. They, you know, to combat, as we, as I mentioned in the intro, uh, a band of unarmed immigrants who are hundreds and hundreds of miles away, won't get here for weeks, six to eight weeks uh, in terms of walking. Um, and, um, you know, don't pose, pose sort of imminent threat. Really, what they are doing, these troops, and these are, are you know, these are like soldiers uh, from the United States Army, are the things that they're doing could have been done by, you know, uh, Border Patrol agents, National Guard, whoever, whether they're are putting barbed wire out, there's been these images on television. And yet, he's sending troops to the border to convey a sense of an emergency, to combat an invasion, as if there was a, a, another nation uh, sending troops in to invade us. Well, and I thought, I saw something that I, I'm sure you have more expertise in, and someone mentioned that you should be sending lawyers and judges down there to process those folks in order to determine whether or not they qualify for asylum. You know, it's an interesting thing. What I have seen, I think what, one other thing that we can see and I think will will play out depending on how this election goes is a split within the Democratic Party uh, about how to respond to this. Because one thing that I will tell you, I've gotten, I've gotten various um, 
you know, people texting me or emailing me asking me, you know, what should our response be? How should Democrats respond to this threat? Because, you know, they you know, there's portions of the country for whom talking about issues like asylum is not appealing, um, which is what you're talking about. The fact that a lot of uh, a good portion of these people are are essentially just trying to get to a port of entry so they can apply for asylum and escape from dangerous conditions. And under international law and U.S. law, uh, we have an obligation to consider asylum claims. I think that one thing that you've seen is um, a, a lot of hand-wringing um, by Democrats. Now, it has not been a real fight um, within Democrats right now because everyone's just like, hey, let's focus on health care or whatever. You know, I saw Michael Avenatti, for example, this morning tweeted, well, you know, we need to yeah, um, kind of it was a message that was more like uh, we should secure our border. I'll, I'll, I'll look it up in a second. But I guess my point is, you know, there he was get, you know, there it was definitely a message that was more uh, trying to straddle. Uh, what the uh, what the Republicans say and what what Democrats typically say? Right, it's not it's not an easy message, right? That we should be welcoming these folks, even though there are there are farmers all over the country who have uh, who who need workers and are not able to function or to operate at the levels that they could. They're going to start losing profits because they can't get any laborers in, whether it's picking blueberries or working on mushroom farms. And uh, and now a lot of farmers are struggling, too, because of the prices, whether it's soybeans uh, and our trade war with now with China, and they have to be subsidized by the government. You know, they, they ha- now they have to rely on the government for making sure they stay afloat. They can't hire workers because Americans can't do can't and won't do a lot of these jobs because they're hard and they don't pay enough. Enough. We have a great job market, but how you know how do you how do you play that? You know how mm-hmm. does that uh, become something that, that Democrats can go? Hey, we need these people to help. And what is it? Two to five thousand people by the time they cross. It's I think the number they're estimating of this caravan by the time it reaches the border, maybe two thousand. Which I, I know it sounds like a big number to, to folks, but by the time they are able to get processed, it's going to be an even smaller percentage of that. Well, for sure. I mean, it's, look, this this number. I think the last time something like this happened, a, a small fraction of the people ended up making it to the border. It's a long walk. Uh, these people are kind of facing treacherous conditions, and you know, the word caravan implies that you essentially, you know, this is all one organized group of people. And of course, there have been messages. We talked a little bit last week about the messaging. You know, that they'll use George Soros as a uh, as a stand-in, right? Uh, for a lot of times, Republicans will. Use Use that as a stand-in for talking about Jewish, uh, you know, dollars influence and anti-Semitic message. But you know, there's a sense that Democrats are funding the the caravan or the Soros, or that somehow there's this is an organized phalanx of of you know of uh, you know whatever uh, people coming to get us. Uh, when really this appears to be a group of you know um, disorganized, unarmed people trying to escape uh, difficult conditions. Um, so I, I guess, you know, by the way, I, I looked and Avenatti already deleted that tweet. So, really? yeah, well, you know, it's, it is controversial. And so, you know, when, when you're in opposition, it's easier to, um, to be you know united in opposition to something, but it will be interesting to see, um, if, if I believe if, if Republicans do better than expected, they're going to point to this web video and Trump's rhetoric on immigration, and they can trump things up, to use a, a, a <laughs> pun sure. intended, and really turn this into an issue and perhaps sort of take the racism to an even bigger level uh, and 
when that happens, it'll be interesting to see how Democrats respond. You know what we do. You know, right now, I think for the most part, candidates are ignoring the issue and just focusing on whatever is important in their district, whether it's right. healthcare, jobs, or whatever. Right, and and that's the that's the hard part of this is is that fear is more compelling for people, has been a better motivator for people t- t- traditionally than running on ideals, and that's unfortunate. So, Patty. Um, Earlier, I talked about putting this uh, latest attack from Trump in the context of prior, um, uh, prior, his, uh, you know, historical strategies by the Republican Party that that also kind of were along the same lines. And I'll, I'll, I want to give credit where credit is due because I really um, was impressed by Kimberly Atkins, uh, who is the uh, chief. Uh, political correspondent for the Boston Globe, who is an MSNBC contributor. And I will admit, I saw a clip on MSNBC, even though I appear on CNN, <laughs> and saw her. Uh, I used to appear with Kimberly on, on MSNBC. She's great. I mean, you're great too, but she's She's, she's, she's better. Yeah. yeah, I know. She's better. <laughs> um, but I heard her putting this in that context and talking about the Southern strategy and so forth, and I thought it was very insightful. And so um, I think we should, let's bring her in now right. to talk more about it. Okay. Welcome to the show, Kimberly. Thank you for being here with us. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. So I've already previewed to our listeners some of the points that that I heard you make um, earlier this week that I thought were so insightful. Putting what has happened this week and what what this racist ad that uh, Trump aired and putting it in the context of other um, actions in political history uh, in the United States, starting with the Southern strategy uh, that Richard Nixon uh, employed very effectively in 1968 uh, to the president. I was wondering if you could talk to us a little bit about that. Yes. I mean, it's uh, the the use of uh, fear tactics, particularly when it involves a certain group of people is unfortunately not at all new in American politics, right? I mean, one uh, example is that Southern strategy that Richard Nixon used, which he it, it essentially uh, appealed to uh, Southern voters, white Southern voters, uh, in, white voters in particularly Southern states, uh, as a way to fan uh, fears about African Americans, uh, about Black folks in a way to gin up support uh, and get folks out to vote for Republicans at that time. And it used uh, primarily code words uh, that related to things like laws that were being uh, implemented to to desegregate schools, to uh, create more diversity in workplaces, to allow uh, Black folks to have better access to to housing and home ownership, things like that. It used coded words about people's neighborhoods, uh, about forced busing, and other things that really drove up fear and really demonized black people, made them seem dangerous, made them seem like uh, a, a drag on uh, on the economy and on, on public resources in a way to, to really drum up support. Now, what you're seeing Donald Trump doing now uh, is essentially the Southern strategy on steroids, because he's not really using coded language. He's using very overt, very hateful language like the one in that ad, uh, tagging Democrats with essentially bringing criminals into the country uh, and referring to the migrants that are making their way 
from South America through Mexico towards the United States as a big band of dangerous criminals, uh, which, of course, they are not. Um, and so it's just another version of this. And he's really done this from the beginning, right? I mean, in 2016, the primary uh, boogeyman of that time uh, were Muslims. And he was prom- he promised a Muslim ban uh, and fanned the fears of terrorism by demonizing a group of people, again, a group of uh, foreigners that were different than white people doing it then. He also called Mexicans rapists and criminals. So he's been doing this from the beginning, using very uh, racist language to gin up his base, which is primarily, I mean, I'm not making this up. If you look at the data of the folks who voted <laughs> for him, it's in- almost entirely white people. And that's his base, and that's who he's appealing to by using fear and racism. Yeah, I I have to say, hearing you talk through it, you could just see uh, the parallels pretty just pretty pretty uh, clearly. You know, with the Southern strategy, it was as you pointed out uh, a reaction uh, to desegregation, particularly of our schools. And, it, and it's worth noting that the Southern strategy and the Nixon administration and many state and local governments did effectively slow down school desegregation. You know, it there was there's a famous line in uh, Brown, versus, Brown versus Board of Education about de, uh, or or a later hearing, uh, or excuse me, a later ruling about desegregation desegregation occurring with quote all deliberate speed unquote, mm-hmm. and that did not actually happen, and that was really due to this racist. Um, strategy and I think due to the latent racism that was there and that was exploited by state and local governments in the South. And so here, you know, what what I will tell you makes me concerned, Kimberly, is not merely the utilization of the strategy, but what the potential aftermath is. Because if Republicans uh, outperform expectations uh, in this election, whatever that may be, whether it's you know keeping control of the House or just not having mm-hmm. as big of gains for the Democrats, you could imagine the strategy on steroids going on steroids and and, and policies being implemented, and you know p- policies that that will be dangerous. You know, right now we have these troops in the border or it's being sent to the border that really are are not doing anything cuz there's no no one there um yeah. but you could imagine something that that actually has a very significant impact on people's lives i i think that's actually absolutely right i mean the reason that we are seeing uh donald trump doing this and and very few uh, republicans pushing back overall on uh this this approach is because it worked in 2016 Donald Trump was elected uh there was this this groundswell from his base that was not picked up in polls and was not entirely expected and I think he thinks he that's the winning strategy uh, also in the midterm so you're right I think if it is successful there is absolutely nothing uh keeping uh him or or those who support him from uh continuing to implement this not just as an election platform but in policy uh in a way to to hold that base i mean i remember in 2016 a lot of folks would say oh well he's he's calling for a muslim ban but he doesn't really mean that don't take him literally he's just he's making a point that we're afraid about terrorism and that's okay well no, he actually did implement a ban mm. that was aimed primarily at Muslim countries. He had to; it took three times to get past all the constitutional problems with it. 
uh, but he finally got that implemented. There's no reason to believe that he isn't going to look. He's already, for example, also looked at not just ways to crack down on illegal immigration into the United States, but also legal avenues of immigration, restricted legal avenues uh, to immigration in the United States. There's really no reason to believe uh, that while he may not be able to constitutionally um, amend the 14th Amendment via executive order, for example, when it comes to things like birthright citizenship, um, he most certainly, I think you might, you most certainly will see uh, if Republicans retain control of Congress at this point, uh, bills put forward in attempting to restrict birthright citizenship to the extent that it can. Now it will be meet with a, met with a constitutional challenge, um, but that's still, that's something that is going to, to be done and that is going to ensure that this kind of politics, this kind of very, uh, you know, this politics with racist underpinnings that are appealing to, uh, using fear to appeal to the absolute worst instincts of some Americans, there's, there's no reason to believe that'll stop. Yeah, and I, you know, you know, you mentioned um, this works, and I think part of what I wonder is, you know, where what the limit is. You know, I think that most political figures are limited by the fact that even if something works, even if you could do something dishonest uh, or very problematic, or something that could have very, you know, very um, uh, concerning implications. You're concerned about the country as a whole, your legacy, perhaps how you're going to be, uh, how, how you're going to affect other people. You know, Donald Trump, uh, more than any political figure that I can think of in my lifetime, is concerned so so completely and totally with his own what would it benefits himself and his own electoral chances. You know, this week, for example, uh, you know, there was this. Axios interview that they made a big deal about of Trump and they were, you know, giving him a hard time about uh, calling the press the enemy of the American people. And he said, well, I have to fight back. And, you know, that's that's what I have to do. Um, And I I don't think he's really concerned about the truth of what he's doing or the effect on other people. No. And we've seen him in, in, a, in a past interview say exactly that, that he calls the press the enemy of the people because it goes over well with his supporters. And also because that way, when the press uh, says something against him that he doesn't like, he can discredit it. Uh, it discredits it if in the minds of his followers, the press is discredited. Uh, so he's he's in that way. He's been very transparent about uh, mm-hmm. what he, what he is doing. And yes, you have seen in some uh, races, for example, some very close house races, uh, you've seen candidates not want President Trump to come campaign for them uh, because that particular brand of politics may not work well in their district. They're in, uh, uh, they may be in a suburban district where they really need to encourage women to come out. Uh, they may be in a district that has a, a larger percentage of minority, uh, uh, minority voters who they don't want to see mobilized against uh, Donald Trump and, and, and come out uh, against them. They distance themselves, but the president doesn't really care about that. And I think you are absolutely right in one uh, aspect is that Donald Trump is thinking very much about 2020. Um, what the campaigning that he's doing, going out on the stump, is very rarely completely for the people that he's stumping for. I mean, I know for a fact in places like Wisconsin, uh, where there was some concern about him coming out and that he could actually uh, harm 
uh, the races there, including the, the gubernatorial race. He went anyway because Donald Trump <laughs> needs Donald Trump needs Wisconsin, so Donald Trump's going to go to Wisconsin, whether the Republicans in Wisconsin want him there or not. Um, so you're absolutely right. Well, you know, another thing that I think is th- this puts a conundrum I, for for journalists and for all of us is, you know, here we are, you and I, talking about this racist strategy, and obviously we're putting it into context. We're talking about falsehoods that are contained within it and its dangerous consequences, but nonetheless, we're talking about it. Many mm-hmm. newspapers, I'm sure your own, but the but certainly many that I've that I read regularly, whether New York Times, Washington Post, Chicago mm-hmm. Tribune, they have been. Uh, covering this strategy and in giving it a lot of airtime. Uh, last mm-hmm. week, I was answering lots of questions and to print journalists and radio journalists about this birthright citizenship stuff, uh, yeah. which was just nonsense as far as I could tell. And we're all we're all talking about um, immigration, which is what the Republicans want, which is what Donald Trump wants this election to be about. Uh, it, how can we react to things that the president of the United States is saying and doing at times, sending troops and wasting our tax dollars in doing so uh, without uh, giving him a benefit in the process? Yeah, you know, I, I have a couple of thoughts on that. I, I think for the most part, uh, members of the press and particularly the print press, uh, I would say I think um, television and cable networks, although I appear on one cable network, um, I'm, a, I'm a, a correspondent for a network, um, they have different uh, incentives in the coverage that they do. Um, I am very confident in the ability of most journalists to walk and chew gum at the same time. Uh, I think it is important when the president takes aim at a fundamental constitutional amendment that is not just about birthright birthright citizenship, but as you know, Renato underscores the 14th Amendment uh, underpins a number of rights that all citizens uh, enjoy and that we needed to have uh, explicitly laid out in the Constitution. So when the President of the United States attacks that, that's pretty newsworthy. But at the same time, we also must cover other issues. We also must cover the way uh, that healthcare has become a crucial uh, issue, probably one of the biggest issues in these midterm elections when you look across, uh, especially in House races. Um, and I think for the most part, we have been. I think it's a lot more difficult because we have a president that is like Donald Trump, who does say and do really uh, things that still continue to shock people, if that's it, if that's believable, if, if that's even <laughs> possible anymore. Um, sure. And that is something that cable news networks cover because this is the president saying and doing outrageous things. And I think, uh, you know, that plays into a different hand. Everybody wants to be first. Everybody wants to have him uh, live on television so that they're not losing their viewership to another network that has him live. Although that all being said, I think we are seeing a pullback from that, right? I mean, a, a few of the president's rallies uh, I've noticed in recent weeks, uh, even Fox News didn't carry the whole thing live. Um, they would break in with bits and pieces and, and continue with their regular programming. And certainly the other networks have uh, been doing that, too. So I think we're seeing a pullback of the full saturation of President Trump. Uh, but mm-hmm. at this time, when the midterms ele- midterm elections are coming up and President Trump has really taken all of the oxygen out of the midterm elections and making it about himself, it's really difficult to ignore him. Uh, in the coverage of it, but I think that journalists need to do both. They need to talk about his impact, 
but also talk about the other issues that are really motivating people, uh, talking about how uh, the economy is very strong, and that's a big boost for a lot of Republican candidates. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk about people's concern about health care, which is driving a lot of the Democratic uh, the, the Democratic excitement and, and motivation in the polls and how Republicans are now trying to co-opt that message when it comes to pre-existing conditions and the fact that their plans have only tried to make it harder to cover pre-existing conditions, not easier. Um, I, I think we, I've seen pretty good journalism talking about all those issues. Journalism talking about the fact that neither Republicans nor Democrats have really done a good enough job, for example, in outreach to Latino voters who could play a crucial role in these midterms, mm-hmm. that they didn't really encourage them to register to vote. Uh, now that And they're regretting that now that a lot of these deadlines have passed. They haven't done a lot of door knocking or, or, or uh, get out the vote uh, uh, activities. They're trying to play catch up late in the game. Um, there, there's a lot of good journalism being done about all these factors that we will see uh, the results of them on Tuesday. I, that, that, you know, just to hit that last point for a second, you know, I think that one potential um, downside of Trump's um, immigration strategy is that it can potentially discourage Latinos from going to the polls. I, yeah. I, I worry, yeah, I worry that the that, that people are going to be concerned that, you know, they'll get on some list or their citizenship will be questioned. I think that's absolutely right. That is a very, very founded uh, fear. You know, I was uh, talking to someone about just today about how the difference between uh, African-American turnout rates historically, uh, which tend to be really high and as a percentage, um, often higher than white turnout rates. Because for for black Americans, that idea of the right to vote and how it was fought for and how we needed the 15th Amendment and and Civil Rights Act to protect it is a real cultural motivator uh, for people for uh, black people. But when it comes to Latino people, they don't a they don't have that same historical motivator Um, and b there is a lot of fear, uh, particularly with uh, with households, for example, we have families that have people of different immigration status. Some people may be legal immigrants, some people may be citizens, others may not um, may not be in the country legally. And there is a fear, even among the citizens, to engage in certain government activities, even voting, for fear that somehow that will imperil their family members or other people uh, in their community. And Donald Trump is playing on that fear directly. He has essentially tweeted a, a tweet threatening uh, uh, essentially people of color for trying to uh, f- cast fraudulent votes, which doesn't happen. The last mm. thing somebody who is in the country illegally wants to do is to draw attention to themselves by doing something like going and trying to cast a vote that they're not allowed to cast, right? Especially if it would only change one vote and they're not going to put their lives in peril for that. But it is a huge fear. Uh, and, and I think you're absolutely, absolutely doing that. And, and I think, especially given the recent uh, rhetoric around uh, Latinos, uh, I, I think that it was a real disservice uh, among all parties to not try to really make sure that that uh, eligible Latino voters are, were registered uh, and really make efforts to get them to the polls because the policies that are being enacted affect them greatly. Um, and they should be encouraged, not discouraged, from taking part in the electoral process. Yeah, well, as we, we spoke recently uh, with a voting rights uh, expert, 
And, you know, I think there are many subtle ways in which uh, Latinos are also discouraged, just longer lines and um, less polling places and, you know, fewer fewer opportunities to vote. Um, and, you know, it has had an impact. I know when I was uh, a young lawyer uh, working in Texas uh, for a federal judge uh, for a year, uh, we heard a Voting Rights Act case before, before the uh, Voting Rights Act got gutted. And... Um, you know, there was testimony about how low uh, Latino turnout was in elections, and it was just a fact of life in Texas. And that, you know, was in many ways what resulted in Republican majorities there for many years. So it definitely yeah. has an impact. And, and I wa- and I also should mention, too, because you mentioned the 14th Amendment, I could not agree with you more uh, that the 14th Amendment is uh, perhaps the most important constitutional amendment we have, along maybe with the First Amendment. Uh, right. But it is it is the amendment that gives us uh, ensures that that um, we have equal protection of the laws that we have that we are afforded due process of law, even when states, not just the federal government, but when states um, are interfering uh, with our rights. So right. it's an extraordinarily important amendment uh, that it is. I do totally agree that it's news that the that the president of the United States would be attacking the 14th Amendment. But I worry that what Trump has done is he's figured out that if he says something outrageous, it will suck up oxygen from other stories and other issues. And that's what I worry about. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely true. And he knows that he has uh, the power to get the attention, particularly of cable news networks. And I think he's ex- he's absolutely exploiting that. I think that's uh, definitely a fair point. And I think that is, uh, I-, I think that's something that he does intentionally. Uh, there's no question in my mind. You know, it's it's in many ways, you know, sometimes, you know, th- there are businesses who've done that to their advantage. You know, Apple famously ran its inaugural ad for the ad- Macintosh only once and got an immense amount of coverage because it was a shocking ad. Here we right. have a, a, a web video <laughs> released and you and I are talking about it days later. Right. Um, so, so one one thing that I uh, that I am curious about is what you're hearing and what you what you see Democrats doing in response to these strategies, because what I have seen is a lot of split amongst Democrats and a lot of angst on their end about mm-hmm. how to have a message on immigration that doesn't play into um, the racism that Trump has been um, uh, stirring up. Yeah, so there's been a, a lot of shifting uh, when it comes to democratic strategy. Uh, it, it seemed before uh, that there was a fear that focusing too much on what Donald Trump says or countering what he says would lead to a repeat of 2016 when Hillary Clinton spent a great deal of time focused on Donald Trump, uh, giving people something to vote against and not giving them something to vote for. And that is why for a long, uh, for most of this elect campaign season, particularly on the ground in House races, Democrats have focused on health care. And that message was uh, seem to be working pretty well. But I believe they're reaching a point now with how much Donald Trump is focused on not just the issue of immigration, but on uh, really demonizing uh, this really racist, xenophobic, demonizing approach to pushing immigration uh, limits and controls um, that Democrats are more and more coming out and speaking out against uh, Donald Trump and saying a vote for a Democrat in this race is a vote against bigotry, a vote against racism. You saw Tom Perez himself uh, say that in, in op-eds in this past week, and you're hearing that more on the ground. And Democratic strategists that I talked to said, 
yeah, six months ago, I would say that's a terrible idea. But right now, there really is no choice. We have to cast this as a moral issue um, in order to to motivate voters. And and Donald Trump is ignored at this point to the Democrats' peril. Well, thank you so much for being here with us, Kimberly. I I learned I learned something from from talking with you, and I and I think everyone else has too. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us for this episode of On Topic. Please subscribe to this podcast, go to your app and review the podcast, and join us for our next episode. I'm Renato Mariotti. Until next time, let's stay on topic. 